put anybody above the other. He doesn't take my prayers any more serious than yours. I'm thankful that he treats us all the same. There's no stepchildren in God's house. Amen. Amen. So, uh, Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28. We'll give a real quick recap of last week, kind of refreshing your memories before we move on. We started in Acts 28, and um, we know that uh, they had been on the island there where they were shipwrecked, and we talked about where the island was. Uh, a couple of things I read in commentaries about one in particular I found kind of interesting. But uh, if you remember, we talked about when verse 2, it says the barbarous people, that's just what uh, Romans called non-Romans. It doesn't mean that they lived in caves and, um, you know, beat up dinosaurs with their club. Uh, it's not what it means by barbarians. It's just simple Gentile, Jew kind of thing, Roman, non-Roman. Um, but we talked about how the, the, the snake, the serpent, came out of the fire and bit Paul, and it said they thought he was a murderer and figured he would die. And I said, technically, if you think about it, he was, they were right. Paul was a murderer. He was a former murderer. He said, well, I don't know if you ever killed anybody personally. He may not have killed him personally, but I can guarantee you, because the Bible tells us that he saw to it they were murdered. Uh, he arrested people. He threw them in prison, and he gave his voice to have them killed. Uh, you can't be much more guilty of murder than that. Uh, the only, you, you can say uh, in a way that we could understand it, it would be the equivalent of me loading the gun and, and, and taking the safety off and hand it to someone to say, there, fire. I mean, you played just as much a part. But God had forgiven him. And God's mercy was great and his work was taking place here so we know the serpent didn't have any harm on him. And then they thought he was a god. Notice little G. So then uh, he, he healed uh, in verse 7. It said, In the same quarters were possessions of the chief man of the island, whose name was Publius, who received us and lodged us three days continuously. And it came to pass that the fa his father lay sick. Paul healed him. Then he brought all kinds of other people. In verse 9 and 10 it tells us this. And uh, he healed them as well. And in verse 11, we'll pick up there. It's where we left off verse 10. But something that I, I read a commentator wrote, and one that is, I forgot his name, but a little bit, uh, I would say safe to read after. I mean, conservative, it kind of shocked me that some commentators, I guess said this, that they didn't feel like this was a missionary journey. They questioned if Paul even gave the gospel, said it was more of a sidetrack. I have a hard time believing that. Now, I don't read in the Bible. I know the Bible doesn't say anything about anybody getting saved. The Bible doesn't say anything about Paul giving the gospel. But let me ask you a question. This is a man who had given his life for the gospel. Do you think he's going to go three months and not say a word to somebody about Jesus? This was a man that made the statement, and I don't want to take it completely out of context, but when he said that I, was, I would rather be accursed that my people would be saved, in other words, he said, I would soon die and go to hell that my people would be saved. I'm quite certain he'd give the gospel these three months that were on this island. You can count on it. One of the reasons why I believe that 
this opportunity came is we know they disobeyed God. They sailed when they shouldn't have, so they ended up on this island that was not going to be part of the journey. I would say this is God, as I said last week, taking all things and making them work together for the good that they were called the Lord according to His purpose. And so God used this opportunity to give the gospel to some people who may have not have heard it. I heard it. I don't know if they had or not. They may or may not have. We don't know. But nevertheless, uh, there was a lot of people healed. I'm sure the gospel was given. And then verse 11, we'll pick up there and take off. And after three months, we departed in a ship of Alexandria, which had wintered in the isle, whose name was Castor and Pollux. Now, let me say a few things. So you wonder how I knew that they had been on this island for three months. Well, because verse 11 tells us that they were. That's pretty simple. Uh, the ship of Alexandria. Now what we believe, the best we can tell, is that this was a merchant ship from Egypt. Uh, most of the wheat at this time came from Egypt. Most of the known world, a lot of the world got their wheat from Egypt. Rome certainly did. Because one thing, if you remember, the last thing they cast off before they became shipwrecked was the wheat. Uh, right before they crashed into the island of, of Malta, and so, or Melita, I'm sorry, and so they, um, they found another ship there that had probably been there for a while. It probably, the winter was coming. They probably uh, found port there, and, and it was on the northern side of the island, we believe. And so they, they found that. And it was a place where, uh, obviously, whoever was over this ship had enough sense to dock that thing to when it was over with. And so the centurion who's in charge, uh, he, he got this ship. This is his uh, fourth boat that they happened to be on in this journey. And will become the fourth. And I'm sorry, third. And uh, they got, so... They, they commandeer the ship. Now, the two names at the end of this verse, does anybody have any idea what that is? Who those people are? It's not something you would know unless you took time to study it. Those were Greek gods. They were sons of Zeus. Uh, the twins, as they're called. There's a constellation in the sky called the twins. I think one of them's holding the, the uh, balance, and I forgot what the other one is. I didn't know that. I read it, but I forgot it. And back in these days, we know that a lot of people, just like today, whether we realize it or not, uh, usually serve some kind of God. And we know that the Greeks and Romans served pagan gods. We know that. Obviously, the Egyptians did. Um, so at this time, uh, a lot of the boats had these two individuals on it because they felt like they brought them good luck and they were the gods that would see to it that would make their destination in a ship. That is one reason why they were there. Some people believe that's why the centurion commandeered this ship because he said we're sure to make it with this one. We're, we're watched over by these two false gods. I don't know if that's true or not, but anyway, I don't think he called them false gods either. But verse 12, and landing at Syracuse, we tarried there three days. Now, uh, if you remember last week when we were in the back, I showed you on the map uh, the island of Sicily, which is at the end of Italy. The bottom of Italy, and the boot kicked Sicily. Syracuse was the capital of Sicily at this time. And it was a major seaport, so they made it to there. And they stopped for three days. Why, we don't know. I don't know uh, if there was some kind of business there. I don't know if they picked up more goods. We just know uh, that they were there. 
Verse 13, and from tents we fetched a compass and came to Reef, Reef I, say, I say this in Holmes, Regium, 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 and after one day the south wind blew and we came the next day to Petila, Petelia, Petelia. Yeah, I think that's closer. So, in verse 13, when it says compass, what do you instantly think of? Compass. Okay, that's not what this was. Think about it. This was A.D. 60. A compass had never entered their mind. So, here's what this verse means. They were going against the wind. How was their boats driven? With the wind. So when they, when they were going against the wind, they would just kind of have to sail back and forth and just do the best they could to get to the destination they were trying to get to with some wind power. And they would, they would actually, it kind of just means sail about, sail around. And that's almost what they did. It almost means in circles, almost. But you basically do whatever you got to do to get that boat going the direction you needed to go. Says what? Yeah. Right. Uh, right. I know. I, I know. I mean, that's a bit. Pardon me. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, that's that's a legitimate question. I mean, it is because remember, Yamaha, Evinrude. Uh, none of those outboards or inboard motors have been invented at this time. So they had no, they used wind power. So now uh, verse uh, 13, so they, and from tents we fetched a compass and came to Regium, I guess. And after one day south wind blew. We came the next day to uh, Petelia, where we found brethren and were desired to tarry with them seven days. And so we went toward Rome. Let me pause here for a few minutes. Petelia, uh, for one of the reasons, and I don't know why, uh, I think I read it somewhere, but it kind of seems odd to me. If you look on the map, Rome is about um, 145 uh, miles north of Petelia. For some reason, that is where the boat docked. If you look on the map, Rome is not that far inland. Why there wasn't a seaport near Rome to port there and then go in, I don't know. But they said this was a major seaport for Rome, uh, for the Roman Empire at this area. Uh, and they had a, one of their biggest, fanciest, nicest roadways built from Rome to the sheep seaport. So uh, they, they, they ported there. Now I want to mention something to you here I found interesting. Now notice... In verse 13 again, I'm going to go back to that one more time. And after one day, the south wind blew. What happened the last time a south wind blew when they were on a boat? They got in a lot of trouble. You know the difference in God's south wind and man's or Satan's south wind? A lot. When they left seaport from that little island that Paul told them, you better buckle down and you better leave this thing parked here for, to, for the winter. They said, no, we can make it. 
They said, there's a soft wind blowing. We, we can do it. Then, of course, we know that they hadn't gone out very far at all, and a storm of all storms came up and lasted for a few days. But this time, it was a favorable wind. It was God's breath. And I believe it was God's way of saying, you know what, you all been on the, on the sea enough. My man's going to get to where he needs to be, and it's time you get there. So this wind let them actually make almost double time. They got there in almost half the time they would have by normal sea, sea going time. Um, yeah. The numerology. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, they they got to when they got to their destination, Italy. That's where they rested seven days before they started their journey to. That's a good point. I never thought about that. But that's before they started their journey towards Rome. Because uh, uh, Petilia, I guess somebody else wants to tell me how to say that. Petilia. Okay. Um, like I said, that is where they docked uh, for this journey. It was by foot, beast, or whatever. It was no longer by water. So, uh, and notice what it says here. And uh, when we, and when they got there, and when where we found brethren and were desired to tarry them seven days, so we went toward Rome. Now. Not long after they got off the boat, I would say within hours, um, if that, they found Christians. I don't think it was Jews. I think it was born-again Christians. Now, um, from what I can read and understand, this seaport was very busy, very bustling kind of area. Uh, More than likely, there were other prisoners coming and going, uh, lots of trade, but keep this in mind. The sea had just opened up. This was somewhere in the beginning of February. So the, the, the uh, ability to sail had just started again. So there probably weren't very many ships coming and going at this time because some, peop- some people probably was willing to wait just a little bit longer to make sure it was safe to sail. No doubt there were others that had made it, but it probably wasn't like in the, in the heat of the summer on the busiest time or the, the late, you know, early fall, something like that when it's really busy. But no doubt, I'm sure there was some, still a lot of activity there at this time. And I would say, uh, now this is just my opinion, that more than likely uh, seeing prisoners or slaves coming off the boat probably wasn't a big deal to most people. It was common. So they might take notice of them, but they're not going to set... And and just you know, I mean, it, it just I don't think it was that way. I think it was so common that it was that was typical. But it took seven days there. Now, more than likely, the centurion either had business to do. They had um, it took that long to get the boat unloaded and get things settled. Uh, we don't know why they're there seven days, but nevertheless, what I'm amazed at 
is that from reading this, he gave Paul a little bit of freedom to fellowship here with these people. He didn't say, get over here, get away. He didn't isolate Paul. Because normally if you're a prisoner, guess, guess what one thing you don't get to do? You don't get to catch up on old times. Huh, no, you have no rights. Especially here. Trust me, it ain't like today. Um, and so, now granted, he was a Roman, so he might have been treated a little bit better, but he was still a prisoner. Bottom line. So they gave him a little bit of freedom here to visit other Christians. Why do you think that happened? I would say because, one, Paul was a man, I'd say he was wore out from this particular little journey. And he needed some refreshing. He hadn't heard any preaching or much. He had Luke and, I can't think of his name or even pronounce it if I could, the other guy from Corinth with him. Um, Amphiphilius or something like that. Anyhow, um, and I don't know if there's any other Christians on board. We know Paul and Luke were definitely tight. We know they were very good friends and no doubt they encouraged one another. But still, fresh faces who had just went on a three-month journey of your life. <laughs> I mean, they got, they got refreshed. They got rested. And Paul was getting ready to go to Rome and, and stay in trial. And he didn't know what was going to uh, befall him there. He just knew he was going to make there because God told him he would. So, so they, they had the seven days there with the brethren. Verse 15, And from tents, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Apatorium and three taverns whom when Paul saw he thanked God and took courage now when it says taverns this is not bear joints <laughs> that was my first thought too I thought what in the world is he doing in a bear joint um, that's not what it's talking about this was actually a place some call it three taverns some say three inns it was simply a geographical area for some reason that's what it was called in Italy I don't know why I didn't ask the man that named it so um, from uh, on foot they traveled a hundred miles first to the first stop and then it was uh, from Apelius to three taverns, it was 10 miles, and from three taverns to Rome, it was 35 miles. The total voyage that Paul took, the approximate distance, was 2,130 miles from the time that they left Jerusalem or Caesarea till they got here. That's a pretty good distance. So... Uh, and then again, I'm going to read verse 15 again. And from tents, when the brethren heard of us, they came to meet us as far as Apopithurium and the, and the three taverns in whom Paul saw, he thanked God and took courage. So word somehow, uh, we don't know if when he got off the boat and some of the Christians that were there uh, had business, had to go on in towards Rome, uh, if they took word, if word had spread somehow, the apostle Paul's here, we don't know. Now, I don't think, for the most part, I don't think the Romans were all that interested in him. Uh, I don't think uh, a lot of the other national people were. The Jews definitely were highly interested in his fame. Don't doubt it spread abroad. Remember, it was three years prior to this, he wrote the book of Romans and had it sent to Rome with Phoebe. So, 
the book of Romans had had time to be well circulated in three years. And the writer of that book, well known in that amount of time. So by this time, his reputation had beat him. You know, it does matter how we live because your reputation sometimes will go before you and he'll come after you. And I'll tell you something. It's easy to break a good reputation, but man, it's hard to change a bad one. And God can use us in either one, but it's a lot less battleful. Is that a word? It is now. Uh, it's not as much of a battle if you keep a good godly reputation rather than damaging your testimony and witness. That's harder to overcome. You can't change your past, what you were before you were saved. You can't do anything about it. Neither can I. But I don't have to live in my past. I don't have to stay there. And God doesn't intend you to. Exactly. I mean, imagine that. I mean, God, remember, they had no New Testament. I mean, they had the Old Testament and the book of Romans and possibly some other letters who had been copied and sent otherwise too. That's what they had. So yeah, I mean, for Apostle Paul coming, man, this was big news for the church. No, he, he, he was a Roman, but he, he was part of the, the uh, he was a Pharisee, was probably part of the Sanhedrin. We believe that he possibly was, but it didn't work for him. Well, he was just a Roman citizen. No, no, he he worked. He was a Pharisee, which which hated Christians. Right? No, I understand. I understand what you're saying. Uh, yeah, the, the Jewish law was what he was defending. Now, the Sadducees were much more favorable to the Romans. They would, they would basically do what the Romans wanted. They didn't care. They were willing to sacrifice uh, and um, compromise to get favor with the Romans. But the Apostle Paul, when he was Saul, was a Pharisee and he defended the Jewish law, the, uh, the Mosaic Covenant with the sacrifices and all that kind of thing. Keeping of the law really was what his thing was. And really as far as him having anything to do with the Romans' work for them... Or did necessarily, we just know he was a Roman citizen. Probably his parents or grandparents did do something for the Romans. Now you may be thinking of that when I mentioned that because uh, it's possible that his family did something favorable for the Romans for him to gain Roman citizenship. Partly it is where he was born. The fact that he was born in Tarsus also just that alone was enough to gain him Roman citizenship potentially. We just don't know exactly for sure how he gained Roman citizenship. We just know that he was. And that granted him rights that your average person didn't have as far as the Romans goes. Does that answer? Did that? Yeah. Right. And that, that's understandable. It, it does kind of run together and... Well, I mean, and I could have skipped through it. And when I say this, I'm not being critical of her by no way, shape, or form. Sometimes Amber's told me, she said, sometimes I move so fast it's hard to keep up. 
and I think I'm going slow sometimes. So maybe I go faster than I realize. I, I don't know, but huh? No, it's probably not because there've been other people come up to me privately and say, "I'm confused about this. Or I don't understand this. I don't want to speak up because they're afraid they're the only one." You're probably not the only one. Right, and I, and I want you to, and that's what I've said all along through this. If I, if I lose you somewhere, if you don't understand something, if, if you miss something, if there's something you got a question, ask it because if you get lost, if you get lost in the details, you're, then you're not going to catch up. So definitely ask. Um, like I said, I just, uh, I talked to Kogan at Rachel's funeral and I think he told me he was at chapter 10 or 11 and he's been here for, on this for over a year so needless to say I'm not going as slow as him and he's not going as fast as me he told me he said well, I can listen to yours and see if I get any tips I said I'm not covering nowhere near the detail you are you probably won't get much from mine uh, anyway so uh, again the three taverns are geographic, it's a geographical area just outside of Rome that's all it's not three beer joints um, and he said when Paul uh, saw people coming to him he thanked God and took courage uh, again he needed some encouragement uh, I mean he, he just went through a, a major trial no doubt Luke and, and the other fellow and I will get his name right next Wednesday uh, you know they was right there with him the whole time they may not got bit by a snake but they still suffered everything he suffered the only difference was they weren't prisoners. But they were probably not treated a whole lot different. Uh, Luke was a Gentile. As far as I know, he wasn't a Roman. So I'll promise you, he didn't get any special treatment. And the other fellow being a Corinthian, he probably didn't get no pats on the back either. You know, so... Um, these And, and again... Paul knows he's going to Rome and he says he's ready to die. Dying, is, dying for Jesus did not, I don't believe it scared him, but don't you think for one second he was still human. Don't think for one minute that there wasn't times the thought went through my, his mind, what am I doing? Do I want to do this? He was still human. He had moments. But if there was ever a man that was human sold out for Jesus, it was him. But he, he didn't know what was going to face him. So verse 16, when, he, when we came to Rome, the centurion delivered the prisoners to the captain of the guard, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself in a, with a soldier that kept him. And it came to pass that after three days, Paul called the chief of the Jews together. They were come together, he said unto them, Men and brethren, though I have committed nothing against the people or customs of our fathers, yet was I delivered prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans." And I want to stop here for, I know I'm breaking the middle of his talk here. And we're not too far from winding down here for tonight. Um, but verse 17, uh, notice, or in verse 16, notice what happened here. Now, why he was given preferential treatment, special treatment, we don't know for sure. Uh, I've heard and I've read different opinions on the centurion. Remember, he's the Roman soldier that was in charge. Uh, we had his name given earlier. Uh, that was my sh short memory and long pencil uh, coming into, into work there again. But um, 
I don't know if he was born again at this time or not. We don't know. We don't read an account, but I can tell you this. By this point, Paul had certainly gained his favor. Uh, He had certainly entered into, I think, a place of uh, friendship, respect with this centurion. And here when he gets to Rome... Of course we know it's God's providence I know that it's God's sovereignty that he was treated with, with special treatment he got to his place um, but the captain of the guard uh, but Paul was suffered to dwell by himself with a soldier that kept him so we know also that he had like a, he was under basically house arrest and I'll tell you this much for three years um, every four hours a guard uh, would chain uh, change guards and they had a, a guard chained to his wrist more than likely he was chained uh, kept under lock and key but he was allowed uh, visitors pretty much at will and so here um, he had only been there for three days and he called the chief of the Jews together so obviously he's having visitors he's already met with a lot of people they've already been a lot of people come and see him uh, it's obvious that he is already getting established and settled in in a quick amount of time, because he says, hey, go get pastor such and such. I need to talk to him. And I don't know what he called him, but anyway, you know, and he came. Uh, and he is, he's what he wants to do. This is very understandable. He wanted to explain to these people why he was there. No doubt rumors had swirled of what Paul had done that caused him to get arrested and sent to Rome. Do you think all of them were true? They aren't today. I mean, you've heard me say many times, 90%, minimum 80. If anything you hear about another preacher or, or especially a pastor, go ahead and assume it's a lie. Because 80, 90% of the time, most of it probably is. Uh, there's times that it's, it's dead true. But I've heard so many things about so many preachers through the years and come to find out there wasn't a word of it true. Not a single word. Uh, I've heard Pastor Jackie say many times it was told on him one time that he quit preaching and went back to drinking. There's only one problem with that story. He said he drank one time in his life when he was in the army. He said it was the miserablest night of my life. He said I never touched it since. He never did drink. So how did he go back to drinking if he didn't do something to start with? Um, and I can sit here and tell you lots more things like that I've heard. The point is... I think Paul wanted to set the record straight himself on why he was there. You can see, oh, but he had a clear conscience with God. He did. But wouldn't you want clean, clear fellowship with your local brethren? There's only one way you're going to get that. Yes, sir. voluntarily went along on his journey. He didn't fight it. You remember, he could have probably been set free, but he said, I appeal to Caesar. 
I don't know if that was his say, I'm going to get to Rome one way or the other. <laughs> I mean, you know, but they would have. And I, I wonder if, if God didn't kind of probe Paul to do that for that very reason. I, I really do. Um, so we'll stop there for tonight and, and we'll finish up this chapter next week. Um, I will tell you, uh, we'll, we'll attempt to. I think we will. We may not. We'll probably be in the back again next week because they, uh, they said they want to practice. The, and uh, that's fine. So um, uh, we, we'll probably do that just to let everybody know to kind of give you a little bit of